You are listening to a second piece, the voice of your future doctors. Hello, what's going on, listeners? This is your host, Habib Suwara. Welcome to another great episode of A2O, A Second Opinion. Um, as always, you know, I'm super excited to get to introduce you all to another amazing guest with another amazing perspective. <laughs> no, I'm glad, you know, we were finally able to link up and, you know, get a chance to talk. Um, she is a first year medical student here at Ohio State. And a name that I'm sure you're going to hear more and more um, in the future. It's Miss Amara Ndumele. You know, if I had to summarize her existence or presence in a few words, I would say she's like a, a soaring eagle, like a soaring spirit. And that's not just because she's Nigerian, but also, <laughs> but also because, you know, whenever she is in a space, whenever she's around people, I think with her brings like a, an air of excellence, but also something that kind of is a guide for people and an inspiration for people. And I think that's why a lot of people choose to listen, befriend, and follow her in everything that she does. But welcome. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you for having me on. This is such an exciting opportunity, you know. Good. I've never been described as (laughs) an eagle. (laughs) So I'm gonna I'm gonna take that back. (laughs) No, I mean you can you can keep it. You can Yeah, super eagles go. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) That's great. For those who don't know, the Super Eagles is the mascot for any Nigerian national team. Yeah, yeah, Um, the best national team. Especially the soccer team. Uh, I think a World Cup. Uh, 2022 is ours yeah um, so you know, we'll see we'll see so you know um just so the people can get a quick idea um of who you are do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and more specifically you know how you got to where you are as a medical student um currently yeah that's a loaded question <laughs> um but my name is Amaran Dumale. Um, I was raised in um, New Jersey, but I'm Nigerian. And I guess who am I as a person? I think um, I'm a very, I would say a very interesting person. <laughs> I have a lot of interests. I love to cook. I love to dance. Um, and I, I have a passion for owls and I like animals. Um, but I also just really like to learn. I'm a very curious person and I think um I think that means anything. I love to create and I love to learn more about what other people are learning. So almost to the point where I don't really know what my interests are all the time because I'm interested in almost everything. Um, so, and sometimes my dad's like, can you just narrow down? Um, so I also, I went to school at the University of Maryland College Park. I'm a Terp, but now a Buckeye. Um, <laughs> you know they're like a Big Ten rival at this point, right? Yeah, but I mean, 
you know, <laughs> we're not that good at sports, <laughs> but we're trying. We're getting there. Um, yeah. So uh, when I, being born and raised in um, New Jersey, um, I my family. I'm the last of three, so uh, my siblings were all really close in age, um, and I think those. These are the types of people that kind of have brought me to where I am today. Um, I come from a really big family. Um, and when you ask my parents why medicine, obviously, as a Nigerian, you're just like, oh, it's the most stable career, everything like that. But there was a point in college, I was telling my dad, hey, I think I want to be an accountant. Like, I think I want to be a lawyer. I think I want to um, ex- do business. And, you know, when they hear those types of words, it's yeah, not engineering. <laughs> it's not being a doctor or bioengineering. They get kind of scared. Um, and I think college, being out of state student, was a way for me to explore medicine and health and just what my interests are beyond uh, just what my parents tell me. Um, that was a scary time. So I actually created my own major in like global health equity and epidemiology Whoa, okay. because I knew I wanted to do something um, in a global perspective knowing where I'm from. So the la- my last name actually means um, I'll come observe and investigate the outcome. Um, so mm-hmm. it literally speaks to me in terms of my curiosity yeah, for yeah. why I have so many interests. But also at the same time, it allows me to want to find solutions to certain problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I've been in a lot of different areas of my life, whether it be like from startup to government, but at the end of the day, it still brought me back to medical school. You know, at the end of the day, yeah, the whispers yeah. that my dad and the prayers that they were whispering at night still brought me here. And I think my medical journey is quite difficult in the fact that, like, if somebody would have told me I would have taken three, four years before coming to medical school, I was like, nah, like one, you know, at mm. least one. Because I knew mm. I wanted to take uh, one uh, gap year. Um, but I eventually took three three gap years. I applied to medical school twice, got rejected the first time. Um, I really thought that it was it. I thought I was going to be in medical school. You know, everybody was praying. It's going to happen. I was waitlisted. I even was accepted to a medical school accidentally. What? Yes. <laughs> I was accepted to a medical school accident. And then the, like, the, I got a phone call saying it was an accident. Oh yeah. God. I won't put the school out there, but you know, I'm like, just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's a lot of mixed feelings when it comes to medicine and like, the MCAT, you know, I know everyone has their own personal MCAT story. Um, and the MCAT, man, it was the thing that made me feel like I didn't belong here. Wow. Wow. Um, but I do. Absolutely. And I think it was interesting knowing that I know there are so many people that have had this story and it's like, yo, when am I going to have my break? You know, some of my best friends, they're in residency now and I'm mm-hmm. starting my first year and you have all these feelings of like, bitterness and resentment, but you love them. You want to be happy for them. But at the end of the day, you're just like, I'm putting all that I can. But not only was it a humbling experience, but it gave me an opportunity to learn more about who I am. Um, And it brought me to a place I never thought I would be. Who would have thought I would have been in Ohio? Is that a good thing or a bad (laughs) thing? No, it's a good thing. Like I love to move around and meet new people. Um, If somebody would would have told me that I was going to go to Ohio, I think I would have been like, nah. But I think... What, what it was, was on the um, application page at OSU, uh, Dr. Capers actually has a reapplicant video. And it was mm-hmm. like eight minutes long. And I've never seen anybody 
put out advice for reapplicants. And it's as some Yeah. Rare. And as someone that was rejected, I was like, this is what I needed. You know, I need someone to console me. And he was basically giving the tips like this is what you need to do hands down. I remember I went to a leadership conference and I asked one of the admissions directors from a school as a reapplicant, what do I do to prepare myself for medical school? And he said, well, why would we want you anyway? And you know how Whoa. heartbroken? Whoa. How, like, I was heartbroken. Like, wait, that- wait, wait. Like, for real, for real. Like, Yeah, he said, well, why would we want oh you again goodness. anyway? If you applied the first time and we didn't accept you the first time. Like, like he was basically trying to say, like, what is different about you now? But it came no, out wrong, bro. No, no, no. You know, I, I, I shed a tear right there. I was holding it back. Wow. And I was like... I don't know. Well, that's why I'm asking you the question. Um, but I think it was encouraging to know that there are people around me uh, that were invested in my education. And I think mentorship was the thing that made the difference. Mm. People that not only write you letters, but invest in you Absolutely. when you're studying yeah. for car section and spend time with you to work on those cars. Um, and I think like... There's a lot of things going into this medical journey that makes you feel like you can't do it. But I think like that imposter syndrome does follow you all throughout your life. Because even me sitting here today, people are like, oh my gosh, that's great. She's in medical school. But even being here, block to block, you always kind of think to yourself, do I belong here? But those are the things that hold us back from fulfilling our greatest potential. Mm -hmm. You know. So I don't know if that answered the question of like how I got right here in this very Mm -hmm, seat, mm -hmm. besides the fact that I took a scooter. Um, these are, this is like kind of how my story, my story, a little bit of my story. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, wow. So from your name being part of your truth Um, to, you know, different kinds of experiences, you said startup and you said, uh, what else? So, um, I worked at a startup in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. That was a great opportunity. Um, and then I ended up like working for the department of health and human services because I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. So I was doing like national biodefense and doing research on like emergency preparedness. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to law school. And then like I switched it up to something else. And then I was working on guidelines. Um, I actually had the opportunity to work at the world health organization in Geneva, Switzerland. Whoa! And that was really cool. Cause I actually, that's a, a whole nother story but that that opportunity came like two weeks before i had to leave there basically like you need to come now um wow. and so get your passport wow. together try to the find WHO some fun yeah like, they, they call oh. <laughs> <laughs> no it was an internship <laughs> unpaid <laughs> so but they needed me right, right, right. <laughs> um but it was it was cool because it was infection protection prevention and control post Ebola crisis. And it was interesting to see how people mobilize and it kind of solidified for me what are my major interests, like health system strengthening. Like those are things that I know that for sure I want to be a part of policy driven efforts in in healthcare. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So do you think like any of those experiences, you know, now that you're in medical school, have given you a better vantage point and like have almost made you like a better medical student and future physician. Like how helpful do you think they've been, you know, looking back? Yeah, it's, I think it's definitely been helpful only because, so when I was creating my major, this major that people are like, what is it? (laughs) What is it again? I remember going to the office, uh, for like, you know, where you get your committee letter from the medical school or something. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm interested in, I'm pre-med, I'm interested in medicine. And they were like, oh, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'm looking to bridge the gap between medicine, public health, and policy. And and I was like, I want being a doctor to be a stepping stone. And he literally said, a, being a doctor is not a stepping stone. 
it's a it's it's a stop point. Like oh that's my. a career. And I was like, no, being getting an MD behind my name is not an end goal. You know what I'm saying? Mm, it's just the beginning of what I want to do. Facts. And I think we try to like put medical doctors in this box of like caring for patients, which is the most important thing. But I want to care for patients beyond the clinical walls. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we talk about health disparities and social determinants of health, but let, let's stop having the conversations about it and let's actually translate that into practice. You know how many times we talk about research and how many research papers we publish, but where is that research paper actually in the community? Can I see it? You know what I'm saying? I don't care how many publications I have if any of those publications cannot actually be manifested in a person's life. So that's what I think these experiences culminate to, whether it be research or policy or my WHO experience. I've, I learned from my WHO experience, I may not actually want to ever work there, not to come for them, but to say that like things are very bureaucratic in nature, you know, mm -hmm. like progress takes so much time, when, especially when working with politics, when we're when realizing that these corporations or organizations don't really have as much money as we think they do. You know, WHO has convening power. They have governing power in the fact that we can come together to actually have those conversations. But who are the people that actually make those decisions? Who are the people on the ground actually implementing them? Mm -hmm. I don't want to be a doctor that is always complaining about insurance, always complaining about how I have long lines in the emergency room. I want to be the doctor that can actually fix those problems so that people can be like, wow, we actually made change here. And that's not just me alone. I want mm -hmm. to do it with a group of other physicians that are also committed to that same effort. Mm -hmm. Hey, sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> sign no, me I'll up. <laughs> All I know is foundations one and two, hey, so I don't know much <laughs> about medicine yet. So we need people like you. Hey, look, didn't I say she was a soaring ego people? <laughs> Look, look, no, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, and I'm I'm really glad you have that perspective. I, I think it's very easy to hear and see the passion that you have, you know, for this. And I think that's hella dope. That's what's up. That's what's up. Now, you know, the way you got into Ohio State, um, how you got here was through the MedPath program. Yes, yes. I, I can't believe I forgot to mention No, that. it's cool. You know, actually, um, <laughs> I think we've had five guests. Like three, three of them have gone through MedPath. Like we, we just love MedPath. We're just, here, no, you know? it's just, you, yeah, everyone <laughs> loves MedPath. Who doesn't? Right. Yeah, right. yeah. So tell us about your experience, you know, how you heard about the program and what do you think the program did for you? Yeah. So when I, I put OSU on my list of schools, you know, I, I saw where their MCAT score was and I was like, ooh, okay, well, we going to try it out anyway. <laughs> so I submitted my application and then you get the application for MedPath, right? And I was like, what is this? Mm -hmm. You know, now. I got I got to do a post back. You know, people when people hear post back, they're like, "Oh, I know I need it," but at the same time, it's another year of delay. But wow, I cannot have imagined a better thing for myself. Mm -hmm. um, I I was accepted to a DO school. Um, it was a three year program actually, and it was like comparing three years to five years, or go to a Caribbean school for four years. Right. And all of these options, I think are great if somebody wants to pick them. But thinking mm -hmm. about what I wanted and the agency I needed and the resources I kind of want to cultivate as a medical student, I knew that Ohio State was the best place for me. So why would I not invest the five years? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And put in the work to prove not only to myself, right. but 
to the career that I'm going to have in the future, that you can do it, okay? You can get above and beyond the MCAT score required for this program. So yes, I found out about the application. I submitted it, um, and then I looked it up online to find out. And, you know, I saw, like, Darren's blog on, uh, yeah, that that always comes out. Yeah, shout shout out out to her. And you see that I slid in her DMs, like, yo, what's up, (laughs) you know? And then I I start, like, reading and hearing more about other MedPathers that are doing great in a amazing things. And then my friend, she was actually, I mean, this was while I was in MedPath studying for my MCAT. But one of my friends, she's on her roti- um, residency interviews and stuff like that. Mm. She met three MedPathers. So that's amazing. Like, you know, she's at this place in DC or, you know, another friend's here in Pittsburgh and like everyone's meeting right, like a MedPather. Right. And I was just like, oh, we out here have agency. You know yeah, what I'm saying? For sure, for we sure. should get t-shirts or something because we're just <laughs> lit. don't have t-shirts? No. You, we need you to make us uh, some me? t-shirts. <laughs> Yeah, right, we were putting it out into the ether right yeah. now. Medpath t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, right, right. yeah. So I think like being in Medpath, it, yo, it kind of like it was the first time in my life where I, the only thing I was focused on was my academics. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not, to, I'm not saying that I wasn't serious about school. Yes, I was serious about school, but I was so involved in so many other things. And although I was extremely committed and passionate to all the organizations and efforts I was doing, at the end of the day, I'm not going to say that it did not affect my studies. At the end of the day, it comes at a sacrifice when you're really passionate about something or you want to make sure that you get something done that you feel like is going to have incredible impact. You have to sacrifice something. And I think in times, I was always working 40 hours a week when studying for my MCAT. For the first time, I did not work at all studying for my MCAT. And the MCAT was the work. I'm yeah. Sure. And then I also just found, I've always loved to study, but like in college, a lot of times, <laughs> in college, like you wait till like kind of last minute to like study for a final yeah, exam. Sure, like, sure. you know, like we're in the library grinding hard. But like, I feel like in MedPath, it was like, for the first time, I was studying every day of my life. And it felt so good because I was like, wow, I'm actually like really learning, learning. I'm not just cramming it and forgetting it like i'm building on concepts and then when you start taking those practice exams i've never taken 12 mcat practice exams in my life i know a lot of people have before but like i have a lot of test taking anxiety so Mm -hmm. in preparing for those like challenging myself to take an eight hour exam every sunday um to model exactly how the test is going to be it was it was kind of empowering to know that wow i just completed another test i could just complete another test and by the end of it you're just like yo i completed all these tests i did so well in this program because i was invested in just what I want you know what I'm saying and that was beautiful to invest in yourself is a beautiful thing when you actually see it come to pass you know Uh, there's a quote that always says uh, day by day it seems like nothing changes but when you look back everything is different and like that's how I feel like Every year I look back, I'm like, oh, wow. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so hopefully that can play a role, you know, in my own personal health. Mm-hmm. But, you know, right now uh, I'm really thankful to God for where I've come. Yeah. Wow. I mean, what a journey. Yeah. From Jersey to Ohio. We'll, yeah. We'll, we'll and... forgive the Maryland part right now. <laughs> no, 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 I'm good. <laughs> okay. Maryland's integral. No, I'm, I'm, completely, I'm completely joking. <laughs> um, but no, that's great to hear. And yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So something that I think other people should know is that 
You have a little bit of a podcast out here, correct? <laughs> I do. Correct? Yes. Um, what's it called? It's called Amara Form. Okay. Uh, it's not a competitor, but a, <laughs> we, are, we are complimenting well, each other. We are all in this yeah, together. Yeah, we are all in this together. Um, so, yeah, uh, I like to talk <laughs> and I like to motivate and inspire. And, yeah, I created a podcast that is dedicated to discussing the underrated issues in healthcare. Um, and that just doesn't mean just like patient care or but it also means what happens in the community it also means the underserved um understudied and underrepresented minorities in medicine and making sure we highlight those perspectives. So I'm really excited for where it's taken off. You know, mm-hmm. we currently have one el- episode out there, the prelude. Yes, that's the one. And uh, I'm excited to build it over the next four years and beyond um, and trying to get perspectives, not only from doctors, but also from patients, from students, and just anybody who is invested in personal community or like, population health all right yeah so we're actually gonna play a clip for the listeners um i was just listening to this the other day and i was like oh man i feel so much better (laughs) i feel like i could go out right now and like make a huge difference and so um let's play a little clip for you guys so that you can get an idea of what i'm talking about what i'm really saying is that if there is a goal or purpose you have in life just go for it Without any hesitation, nothing, nothing, nothing should take you away from what you feel like your true purpose is in life. You know, because the road will be bumpy, but there's no roadblock. It's just a speed bump. If there is anything in your past that you feel that will hinder you, I'm telling you right now, it is false. It may set you back, but that doesn't mean that you cannot go forward. So think about, reflect on the opportunities you do have. Be grateful for where you have come, how far you have come, and how far people have brought you. And recognize that you still have a work to do, sis. You still have a work to do, bruh. Like, sometimes we think it's all about us. We still got a work to do. So I'm saying, be a reformer today. Change begins with yourself. It doesn't begin with anybody else. It doesn't begin with what your ministry is. It doesn't begin with your YouTube channel. It doesn't begin with this podcast. It doesn't, it it begins with you recognizing what is it that I need to change. So. I mean, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, wow. I mean, like that's, uh, I feel like, again, just like, just like you have so far, people can feel the the passion and, and the motivation. I mean, it sounds like you have a. A passing ministry, yeah. or like at least motivational coaching. Life coach was life coach a part of your yeah. It was, it was on my list. It was on my list. <laughs> Dad shut that down too. <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's really cool. That's really amazing. Um, so based on you know what we just heard from you, you know, uh, tell us your thoughts on what reform, the word reform, truly means to you. Yeah, definitely. I think when we hear the word reform, sometimes people run because uh, people don't like change. I mean, yeah. they, as as much as we don't like to admit that, um, like uh, recently in these times, you know, health reform has come up a lot. You know, we we're talking about health insurance and how much money it's going to cost. But when I think of reformation, it's not so much always like a governmental policy that has to be enacted. Of course, that would be great, you know, if we can have more reform in our society. But I think reformation, at the end of the day, the people that put together those things are humans, they're people. And I think reformation starts with 
you. You know, it starts with what are you doing in your life right now that is investing in yourself? Um, Because I find it so interesting that in this world as millennials, we really want to like do like, we want to be the best. Like, you know, we want to put the best out there. We want to look the best. We want to work out the best. We just want to make real impactful change and we want to see it quickly. Um, But reformation is a, a progress. It's not necessarily always the solution. It's not necessarily always the end goal. Reformation is literally day by day working hard to improve yourself mm. over time. Mm. And I think um, as someone that wants to be a health advocate, I think I have to like, let's talk about our health first. You know, what are we doing to make sure that we can be the most healthy human beings in our life? And then from there, now what can I do to help my brother and sister? So whether that be, you know, giving someone a hug or making them a sandwich or, you know, not snapping on them when I really want to snap. But then also now when it comes to when we have problems, like whether it just be an institutional problem or it's like working on your homework. It's like simple things like that, I think it has to do with reforming each um, each other and talks about compassion and coming from a religious perspective. Mm -hmm. I believe, you know, in my Christianity, you know, the reformer I look to is Jesus Christ, you Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I know for everybody else, when it comes to their religion, they think about the reformer that they, they look to, you know? And I think for me, it's like recognizing that reformation isn't always um, it's not going to always be smooth sailing. It's going to be a lot of bumps in the road. You're going to fall to your feet. People are going to laugh at you. People are going to say no to you. People are going to think you're crazy. But at the end of the day, you know in your heart that this is what I need to do. This is my ministry. And this is how I can affect not only the change for myself, but the change for others around me. And people will see that. And it's not for clout. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of people do reformation for clout. But reformation is sustainable. It's long lasting. Uh It has impact. And people can remember, you know, that girl made me a sandwich that day. You know what I'm saying? But then you also remember that person built a school and invested all this money and education in these young girls when it comes to sexual education. And that's what I think of as reformation. And I think reformation uh, pivotally always has to do with health and education hand in hand. Those are the two most important topics in the world, I think. Uh, And without them, uh, I feel like we are nothing. Wow. Wow. And, you know, the beginning part of what you're saying, especially, um, almost sounded like the J. Cole lyric. Have you ever heard um, High for Hours? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what good is taking over when we know what you're going to do? When the real change that happens has to happen right inside of you. Right? Wow. And wow. Like He's that- a rapper now. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I'm just spitting what J. Cole said, you know what I'm saying? But, um, I mean, it just sounds right on point to what you were saying about, you know, internal change being the prerequisite to true reform, mm-hmm. both personally and in terms of, you know, real change that you affect, not just for clout, like doing it because of the broader impact that you can have on people, society, um, and the world in general. So, I mean. Yeah. I mean, just to piggyback off of that, like I, one of the things I'm trying to work on is my own personal health, right? Like drinking mm-hmm. water, eating well. And. That makes two of us. Yeah. <laughs> and as someone that wants to be a doctor, I, I cannot. 
I cannot go into my patient's room and tell them to eat right and be healthy and mm-hmm. do all these things when I'm going to go home and eat my Sour Patches in my bed and but watch. But the Sour Patches are so good. <laughs> no, they're so, so good. But in moderation. It was so interesting because I went to actually see a nutritionist here at OSU. We have a lot of resources, Nutritionist. Y'all. <laughs> just, just a small plug. Nutritionists are one of the best resources out there. That's, yeah. yeah. Please continue. I just want so to So it's a plug. free service here at OSU. So I went uh-huh. to see a nutritionist and she asked me a question. So what's the difference between a snack and a treat? And I was like, ooh. I, I was like, they're not the same. <laughs> and she was like, well, a snack is to enhance your nutritional value between meals. But a treat is something you do to treat yourself, you know? And I feel like a lot of times I treat myself a little too much. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I eat a lot more sour patches than I may need to. And then maybe I need to be incorporating more snacks. And I think one thing that I thought about was like, discipline is freedom. At the end of the day, people feel like when they're disciplined, they're they're rigid or they're constricted by something. But at the end of the day, you feel better about yourself when you can commit to going to the gym three times a week. You feel better about yourself when you can actually meet the goals that you write down for yourself. And that frees you because it, it, it prevents you from being so, oh, I never get it done. You know, it prevents you from self-hating. Uh, but when we actually meet our goals and we see the progress over time, that's like, that's where I want to be. And that's where I want all my brothers and sisters to be too. Like I want us all to see measurable, impactful progress in the things that we do on our day-to-day, you know? Wow. I feel like you're talking straight to me. <laughs> we can cut out the sour patches. Just day by day. Day by day? Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. But for real, um, wow, I felt like that was such a useful piece of information. One, I mean, the nutritionist part. Yeah. One, but also, like, it seems like being food literate, like, be, like that mm-hmm. distinction is enough to... I don't want to say enlighten, but it makes a clear difference in like the food choices that you make. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, man, and that's that sounds like reform to me. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you for that. Thank yeah. you. You know, we talked about mentorship a little bit earlier, um, and you know, you also mentioned the part about reform. Mm-hmm. You know, being something that has to happen inside of you, mm-hmm. and it sounds like you know that process. If it hasn't already completed, then it's definitely been in place for a long time. So my question to you is, you know, who are the people who instilled in you the importance of reform? And, you know, feel free to shout them out. Uh Um, And, you know, what what difference do you think they truly made in your life because of that? Mm. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, there's so many people I can, you know, list them all. But I think... Just big picture. The people that I feel like I look up to when it comes to reform are individuals that don't care what you really think, but are willing to just say what they have to say. Mm, and like tough love type people. Yeah. Okay. You know, I'm always, sometimes I can be a little non-confrontational. It's hard to actually say what you want to say. Mm-hmm. But I think people that in a circle of people, like we're all agreeable. And then that person's like, actually, I don't really think that's a good idea. And everyone's like, oh. I'm in shock, you know, (laughs) but like, okay, so there's a doctor, Dr. Otis Bradley. He has a book that says how we do harm. And uh, he's a medical oncologist. And he always talks like on these really controversial topics around like cancer screening and um, uh, disparities in healthcare, and especially when it comes to cancer care, and him working in a hospital where there was a lack of resources or people were delayed um, coming to the hospital. He spoke out about that. And he literally pointed fingers at the accusers of 
why are systems like this, you know? And I think that type of energy is what I need, you know? That's the type of energy that I look up to when I see people or there's also Dr. Paul Farmer. He's yeah, um, he's Harvard, an anthropologist yeah. and I think he took a very incredible spin on how he views healthcare in a very humanistic way, but he would say staff stuff and systems. These are the types of things that we need to fix before we can give good medical care. And he breaks down the walls of policy. He'll run into a WHO building meeting with people of high level and say, I don't care if this is a high level meeting. This is what I need. And I need money now for mm, my clinic. Okay. And like, I, that's the energy I need to come in with yeah. and not being afraid to walk into a room and say, this is what we need. I'm sitting at the table and you need to hand it to me today. All right. Um, so, uh, I don't know if I'm there yet, you know, <laughs> like for me, I've always wanted to write a book, like just, you know, shouting out everybody, you know, but I think at some point I need there, there, I think one actually an advice that I got today was saying that the most important, the most important thing for you is yes, equity and disparity is an important field. And that is very pivotal. But in order for people to listen to you, you need to make sure that you're an expert at something. You need to make sure that you have a skill in something that somebody can look at and say, wow, we need this. So for me, I, I think like, what is it? What is the thing that I'm going to be the expert in, which I want to find out hopefully in the four years that I'm for here sure, sure. Um, or beyond, you know, what is the thing that I'm going to be an expert in? And then when I talk to people, not only lay out the field, this is my expertise, but we need to make sure that disparities, diversity, and all these things around equity are included from the jump, not at the side. Because that's the problem. A lot of times we have these initiatives and it's like, oh, what about diversity? Then we add it in. Let's not add it in. Let that be part of the foundation. Um, so I know you asked me about who my mentors are. It's all the people that literally put these things into play. Um, and I think like uh, even my my parents, I would say, those are also people that I feel like have always been game changers or they don't... They don't care much about what you think, you know, you know, we're Nigerians, you know, like, you know, <laughs> exactly, you know, they, they speak with their mind. And, and I think my dad, although he gives me really long winded lectures about things like one of the most, the, I think my dad's a genius. He's like the, the most educated man I've ever met, a proverb for every sin, single situation. Um, but anything worth doing should be done well is what he always says to me. And that's what I want to bring to anything that I do here um, in uh, in my career as a student, uh, but also as a medical doctor, as hopefully a one-day wife and mother, um, and things like that. Wow. Amora is not taking no for it. Yeah. We are not. <laughs> no, I love it. I love yeah. it. Um, and I think it speaks to your spirit as an advocate as well. Um, it's clear that those people are the people you are inspired by, and I think it's the pe per type of person that I think I'm sure that you know people listening to this podcast and not just in the world are, is going to see very, very soon. Um, so, going along with that, how do you think that we can you know address so many of the issues that you talked about, whether it's policy, whether it's advocacy, whether it's the philosophy on which we choose to incorporate di diversity um, and inclusion? You know, what do you, what are your some some of your ideas, you know, without taking, you know, the money makers, yeah. <laughs> the good ones, you know, yeah, with yeah. Uh, leaving you room to surprise us all in the future. But what are your some some of your thoughts on like how we can start to address some of these things? Uh, write a letter to Congress. No, okay. no, no. Right. No, I think um a lot of times we I think 
there are a lot of nonprofits out there doing a lot of great work. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes grassroots efforts can only go so far. I think they make impactful change for the communities that they're in and they're necessary. I mean, you could feel free to disagree. <laughs> feel free to disagree with me. But I think for me, I think uh, policy is very important because in the decisions that doctors make, mm -hmm. those are driven by policy and insurance. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to start in business and in policy where people have money. Okay. <laughs> uh, we need to figure out why, where money is going and how money is flowing and mm -hmm. how to get it redirected to where we are. I think that uh, we need to start investing in black business. Mm, um, <laughs> I think we need to start, uh, I think physi black physicians or any minority physician need to come together as a group, not only as a nonprofit to have conversations, but actually lobby for certain uh, things and for me, one of the things I want to do, I want to do like physician consulting um, and okay. um, consulting on things related to diversity and equity. Mm -hmm. um, so, how can we get um, a multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary efforts when it comes to a lawyer or an engineer, a doctor, and we like a think tank, if you will, to discuss some of these solutions to actually propose something and then implement it, do the research, have evidence, publish. And then after that, we can actually say, this is what we did. And you can't even say our numbers are wrong. So give me an R01 money uh, from NIH. And then I invest in it. Because I, I think also black there's not enough black researchers. There's not enough research on certain disparities. And to be honest, mm -hmm. they're not as funded. So how do we make sure that our, our research efforts are rigorous enough that it can get through the door so that people take us seriously? And when I say I need my money, mm -hmm. you give it to me. Because at the end of the day, I hate saying this, money makes the world go around. And I remember one time my dad nice. told me, I always quote my dad, but he said, Back at, when I was a little naive, he said, would you rather be a poor man with an idea or a rich man, you know, with the money to invest in the idea? And I said, I want to be the poor man with the idea. And he said, I was like, because I, I, you know, I created it. I'm the one, you know, then I could just ask the rich man to, you know, invest in it like Shark Tank. And he said, at the end of the day, that rich man's going to take it. You know, he's going to take that idea and he has the money for it. I'm not saying that we all have to be rich. I'm just saying we need to find a way to leverage those resources and invest in them. And also another thing I would like to invest in is medical education. So a uh, medical education primarily for um, underrepresented uh, students, both domestically and abroad. I want to make sure that back home in Nigeria, we have a strong um, medical institution where I don't not necessarily not have to work in the U.S., but I can work both places, you know, and I can do research in this place and do research in that place and make sure that the research that we're actually producing is for our people and not necessarily to develop drugs for other people, mm. but to develop drugs and biomarkers for ourselves mm. so we understand what's happening in our own genetics and our own genomics and all the things in this Precision medicine, personalized medicine world that actually is tailored to me and my skin color. Mm -hmm. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, I want to push back on you a little bit. Okay, play devil's advocate <laughs> okay. because you know you talk about both the role because you know you worked at WHO, mm -hmm. you know, as an intern, right? Um, and you know, you mentioned the importance of policy mm -hmm. and you know those big, more structural changes um, that. They, they are going to do the things that ultimately grassroots things can't do. Mm. But at the same time, like you said, aren't there, one, aren't there bureaucratic, you know, barriers 
that will limit how much you can do, you know, for the populations in the way that you want, ultimately due to the nature of policy. Um, and two, you know, you mentioned, you know, these ideas of research and medical education and, you know, bringing it back to medical students both here and abroad. Um, but I mean, practically, like, how do you think those resources can be allocated properly um, to minority groups that we both belong to in a way that is facilitative? Because both of those things have to happen within the system that is mm -hmm. currently trying to suppress them. So yeah. I raise to you both of those questions. I'm not a PhD and I'm not an MD <laughs> or an MBA or an MPH. Like, but I would say, yes, this is a loaded question. I think this is a question a lot of people have been trying to figure out. Uh, so I think I'm going to mention Paul Farmer because I think that's a good model of how. So he, he now he invested in clinics. Um, uh, he created what's called Partners in Health, which I'm not necessarily sure if it's a nonprofit, but I'm, I'm not sure exactly if it's a nonprofit or what type of organization it is. Mm -hmm. But I think the model of how they they use it is, I think, really interesting because not only are they creating clinics around the world that is outside, like they rely on donor money. At the end of the day, you need someone to invest in the project that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And that could be either the government investing it. That can either be one of these, another uh, a government outside of the U.S. investing in it or somebody else with that wants something investing mm -hmm. in it. And I think that's the thing. Uh, what is the, the trade-off? What are we sacrificing and what are we giving? At the end of the day, these are all corporal agreements. They're all exchanges of power, if you will. And I think those are things that we have to be careful of, like corruption. Like um, with Partners in Health, they actually created a health um, global health equity institute in Rwanda. And that's very beautiful because it's a medical school invested in making, making doctors um, that will not only stay in Rwanda, but it's like robust medical education. And they have a partnership with Harvard and um, what you, whatnot. So those medical students are going to come out like, I'm technically a Harvard, Harvard grad, you know what I'm saying? But the only way that was able to happen was through partnerships that he had with the, min the Minister of Health in Rwanda and all these other people. And obviously there's a bunch of drama and all these things that can happen with those types of relationships. So you have to be careful. But I think what's important with a lot of these efforts, and I don't know if I'm really answering your question, but it's having an interdisciplinary approach to it. So like bringing people on that aren't just medical doctors, but um, that is a lawyer that knows how to, uh, that understands how to, you know, work around all of these policy words, mm -hmm. um, but also the business person that understands what healthcare management looks like. Mm -hmm. um, and that those teams of people, but those teams of people need to kind of look like me in the way that they're investing in what we're all investing in the same thing. Mm -hmm. We all know at the same on the same page, we're all invested in health equity for this particular group of people. And I think that's the page that we all need to be on. If we're not on the same page, then I think change doesn't happen. So yeah, to, to fight your point, yeah, grassroots efforts do have their limitations, but also these larger corporations have their limitations too, because uh, I think even things like for WHO, there's only a certain point at which they can do as much. And then right. even for grassroots, it's not, it can be a community affected change, but it may not be globally affected, you know, mm -hmm. but I think each of those things are very important. I mean, honestly, I, I know that the question I ask is partially like impossible to answer. <laughs> yeah. I think it's more to highlight the point that I think that roles in both are a necessity. Yes. Yes. And I think it's more about 
which role do you choose to mm, play? Yeah. Um, you know, even as high as a level as the governing body of WHO, or if you want to talk about, you know, local or state policy, even national policy is not even on that, you know, global mm-hmm. level, all the way to like the community health centers mm-hmm. and the local academic institutions that are supporting the local community. Uh, I mean, they all play a vital role. It's just about, you know, what skill set do you bring to the table that will best help us all achieve that um, overall objective. So, I mean, I really, you know, that's really, yeah. I just wanted to, <laughs> get, I mean, get your overall thoughts and just prod you a little bit, but yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree at all. <laughs> not at all. All right. So, you know, to, to close things out, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about all of these big things, you know, the great changes that, you know, you want to make, mm-hmm. you know, in the world and overall, you know, when, when your career is over the course of your career. So with that, you know, when things are all said and done, when Dr. Ndumele hangs up her stethoscope um, <laughs> and retires and her career is over and she has, for the most part, you know, finished out her career and achieved the mission that she set out to reach, you know, what do you want to leave behind? You know, what things do you want people to remember you for? And overall, like, what's the legacy that you hope to leave behind? Wow. Now I have to figure out what my <laughs> obituary says. <laughs> no, I didn't say no, obituary. I, I know, I know, but... More like retirement <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, retirement Yeah, I think what it is, it's like, I just want to, like, motivate people. Um, I, I, I mean, I talk, like, in this big, like sky level thing thinking but i think it's what it is it's like just being able to like impact the people that i am with on a day-to-day level Mm -hmm. you know i just i like people feeling happy like i like when they or not even just happy like i i rather i want to endure and celebrate with people in the fact that like what is the problem that we have and can we come up with a solution for it and i want to see that solution i want to see that person come out victorious and be like wow i'm like oh my gosh we did it you know it's so exciting because like the other day one of my friends called me and you know we had been working through like applications and mcat and stuff like that and she was like oh i got an interview and it's like yes we did that you know i feel like i'm part of her success she might not agree but like i feel like i'm part of that so like that's kind of what i want to be memorable for the other dream i have is you know i want to be the oprah of medicine you know (laughs) i don't know what that really looks like but you know i think like oprah has this presence that Mm -hmm. is like captivating and makes you really happy you know and i want to be like you get a you get i don't know what i'm gonna be giving out you You get get a scholarship exactly that's exactly what it is and i've always wanted to like create a foundation Mm -hmm. of some sort so i gotta find out where i want to get the money from but you know i think um those are the that's the type of impact i want to have but i want to have that in collaboration with other great amazing people um ahead of me on the same level as me and behind me wow Again, sign me up. I, especially about the scholarship part, I, w- I would gladly take one of those. <laughs> uh, no, for sure. And you know, and I'm curious. You know, we're talking about the future. I, you know, I have. I feel like we haven't, and we talked about the past a little bit, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure we got to talk about the present as mm. much. Um, and so, you know, currently, I know school is busy, but you know, in accordance with you know your vision and your goals, you know, what are some of the things that you have been able to do in you know the time that you have you know to start moving towards you know the future that you hope to create 
Yeah. So I think one one of those things is like the development of my podcast, mm-hmm. which has been exciting. Uh, it's an idea I had for a long time. And I was like, okay, I guess I got to <laughs> do it. <laughs> uh, so that, that's one thing. I think another thing is like my involvement in research, like translational research. So I recently published a paper, but that's hey. not to like clout myself up. But like, <laughs> Okay, so we can find you on the PubMed. Let's go. Let's that's go. not to like clout myself up. But I think it was like, it was nice to know. Also, the paper had been we've been working on it for a long time, but it was more so like, this was a paper that talks about policy equity and unconventional topics in healthcare. And I felt like that's true to what I want to do. And I was like, the fact that I was able to produce uh, work in collaboration with other people um, invested in that, it was around like beetle quid chewing. Um, and it, beetle quid is like a nut that people chew that can cause like certain types of oral cancers. Um, and I'm really interested in like cancer research. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what necessarily specialty I want to do, but I'm interested in prevention and looking at um, longitudinal or chronic disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then the other thing I'm really interested in is like, Immunology, and I think coming out of our what was it? We had our foundations too, which is all invested in like immunology and cancer. I was like, oh, I'm going to be an immunologist. I'm going to be a cancer doctor. And then coming out of there, you're like, I don't know if I really want to do all that now. But like, it was really interesting to learn so much more about like genetics and their their role in cancer. I don't really like genetics that much, but it's so cool that literally now we can like find one gene that can like. It's like a biomarker for a specific disease, diagnostic, prognostic. And that's just so amazing to me how far medicine has advanced. And I'm so ready to advance with it. I like, that. I like that. I'm not sure I vibe with the immunology part, but no, no, definitely the advancing with medicine part. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you'll be there as well. Um, so final thing, you know, where can the people find you? You know, on social media, where can they find the podcast? Where can they find that PubMed publication? Uh, like, yeah, you know, tell us, let us know. Yeah, so you can see um at ama underscore reform. Um, so ama reform is uh the platform that I use. That's what I use for everything. I don't really have a Twitter, so <laughs> just Instagram mainly. And then also uh, my podcast is on Spotify, Apple Music, and I also have a link tree where you can see it on anchor.fm. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, Amara, again, thank you so much for coming in. I, I feel like I feel so much more. Oh, this is, no, this is fun. You, right? I'm glad. <laughs> No, I'm glad, you know, we were finally able to link up yeah. and, you know, get a chance to talk. And, you know, I'm glad that the world is going to hear this conversation as well. And so to all the listeners out there, thank you again for sticking with us for another episode of A2O. Um, keep listening in. We're going to come with a new episode coming soon. Um, check out our online content on our Instagram page, Twitter page, YouTube page. It's all at <laughs> at a2o underscore podcast that's where you can find us follow us and don't forget to leave us a five star please a rating on whatever you know platform podcast platform that you choose to use so all right we're signing out we'll talk to you next time